This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. One of you guys is in the Google Doc right now changing things around. Is that you, Jonathan? <laughs> well, you said, with me in there? No, because you said AFL Players of the Year in the intro. Oh, no. I fix it quickly, and I accidentally deleted it. Wow. We were almost on the hook to announce the AFL Players of the Year after week two. <laughs> Zach Veen. Yes. Wow. You know, it's funny. I was actually, actually going to ask you guys. We'll, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Uh, but yeah, tipped you off. We're going to be talking about the Arizona Fall League pretty much through the entirety of this podcast. And we are going to have an interview with this week's Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Week, not year, not yet, mm-hmm. AFL Pitcher of the Week, Joey Wentz. We'll also talk about this week's AFL Hitter of the Week. That's Austin Martin. And we're going to answer a couple questions in the mailbag, which will also pertain to the Arizona Fall League. But before we get into the Fall League, we do want to mention again, uh, we mentioned last week at the top of the show and wanted to do it again this week. uh, Very important to us. Sarah Langs, great researcher, reporter here at MLB.com, posted on Twitter about a week and a half ago now that she diagnosed with ALS. Uh, Her good friend and our Cleveland Guardians beat reporter, Mandy Bell, uh, started a GoFundMe to raise funds for both Sarah and her choice of an ALS-related organization. That GoFundMe, uh, if you go to Mandy's Twitter uh, account, you'll see it pinned to the top. It's MandyBell02 is her Twitter handle. That'll take you to uh, the GoFundMe and... uh, We said last week, uh, Jim, Jonathan, and I are going to match all donations up to a grand total of $1,000, not each individual donation up to $1,000, but a total of $1,000. We've seen, and just mention MLB Pipeline in there. Uh, We've seen several of you uh, have done that already. We really appreciate that and uh, hope that if you're listening and have not done that, go support our friend Sarah, who is great, great baseball reporter and researcher and and even got it, it's so so <laughs> hackneyed and trite sounding but she is uh an even better human being which uh, a lot of the comments that you'll see if you go there are all about what a, a great person sarah langs is so please do that for us and now we want to move ahead and talk about the arizona fall league which uh, we we even dragged sarah into yesterday jonathan i don't know if you saw but she chimed in because you were at a game and you saw something that you will rarely see in baseball at any level uh and so sarah as she so excellently does across the board in baseball added some great context there but tell us about what you saw yesterday i uh saw two inside the park homers in one game uh, by one team by one team yes sorry by one team which Thanks to our crack research staff, I found out has not happened in a very, very long time since, uh, I guess I don't have it in front of me. Was it 1986? Yep, 86. Right, 86. Greg Gagne hit two homers. Um, in this case, it was Heston Kierstad of the Orioles and Cal Conley of the Braves. And Kierstad's reaction when I told him that, you know, Greg Gagne, he was like, Oh man, one dude did it. That was, I think, that was a direct quote. Um, and uh, so Kerstad came first. Uh, he's been ridiculous this this fall. I was joking with him. I was like, we're going to run out of things to ask him about, just uh, because he often could be the guy to talk to. His, his inside the park homer narrow, maybe missed clearing the fence by about four inches, and just kind of bounced off the top of the ball and over the right field, back over the right fielder's head. 
uh, and that led to his inside the park homer. Uh, so he kind of crushed it. Cal Conley's like, you know, we were in um, Peoria, so I didn't have I didn't have exit velo. Uh, handy, I should have cornered the TrackMan guy, but like, if his ball was at seventy five miles an hour, it was a lot. It was like a little flare down the first base line, uh, you know, down the right field line, and then the right fielder dove for it and missed it. And Conley can really run, and he was running hard from the get go. And uh, I thought was the, his best quote was that he. he got to second and looked up and the third base coach was already waving him home. Um, so they read it correctly. Um, so two very differently hit balls with the same, uh, same exact result. Kerstad, you, in your story, you said that he's so hot in, in the fall league that he, uh, he even nailed you. You quizzed them. You asked <laughs> how many times do you think this has happened? What, what was your, in the past 45 years? And, and he said once, and that was, yeah, I think I, I, I basically framed it the way you did actually. And which was, yeah, and so yeah, Cal Conley guessed under five, which is also correct. correct. But Heston Kirsten was like one. I was like, yep, right on the money. He's squaring everything up, including the trivia contest. And you said no stat cast, so no exit below, and also no no sprint speed. But Conley can fly, right? Yeah, he can. He can. He can really run, and he is a max effort guy. So he, he's the kind of guy who smelled the base hit, probably was thinking, "All right, you know, if it bounces, maybe I, you know, I can get a double out of it because it, 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 you know, a little bit of a pop up flare kind of thing." So uh, he goes full tilt every single time uh and, and he has plus speed so the combination of the two although he did get thrown out stealing which was which is rare but um but yeah so he he, he definitely won the sprint speed contest and Kirstad would have won the exit velocity contest if i had that information at the ready this uh this led me to the idea that we need to have the two of you plus Sam Dykstra, who will be out there soon, and Jesse Borak, who's out there covering games for us. We need to have you guys go home-to-home and uh, time your trips around the bases, get uh, get your sprint speeds. I will pass. I would probably blow out a hamstring, so we don't, we don't need to see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that's not fair. I mean, in all, with all due respect... Jesse would win that, I uh, Jesse, well, Sam, like, runs marathons. Like, they're, like, young and in shape, and in better shape. Um, than me anyway. I'm not going to speak speak for Jim. They're definitely younger than Jim, yes. but I, I don't. Maybe you know, add them I, together. I think they might be younger than me. Pretty close. <laughs> now we can add their times together. I'm not going to. I'm not. No. No. All right. I'm, I'm not, not going to do that. All right. No. <laughs> so, so we talked about uh, Kerstad there, and then earlier uh, when we first started, and we were accidentally about to talk about the AFL Players of the Year, which we can't possibly do after two weeks, but. Uh, you said Veen. I was in in planning this episode today. I I did have the question popped in my mind. It's early, obviously, through two weeks. But if you had to name a player of the year so far, would you go Veen or Kerstad? Um, Veen, or all right, Kerstad leads the league in in total bases by a long shot. He has thirty five. He, he also and, plays every day. He's this year's Nelson Velasquez. Well, he's yeah. He's only played one more game than Veen. But he's he's got forty seven at bats. Yes, yeah, thirty thirty five total bases in ten games, which is eleven more than the next best in the league. He's hit in all ten games. Veen is slashing four sixty seven, five seventy five, six thirty three for a twelve oh eight OPS, and to boot has ten stolen bases in nine games. And he has eight walks versus two strikeouts. Yeah, that's really stands out because that's what he needed to to work on. He stole third base twice last night. Yeah, he's had. Uh, I think he's had a couple two stolen base games and a three stolen base game. Are you are you more impressed by by one or the other so far? Or uh, you know, not that it really matters, but does one of the two performances stand out more to you? I mean, I I think they both they both had something to prove. You know, and, and not that you're you're necessarily proving your long term value uh, in the Arizona Fall League, but this seems like kind of an important you know stretch for for both of them. After Veen struggled as mightily as he did at Double A, and Kerstad, you know, got off to such a blazing start, but then really tapered off after that. I, I'd say, I mean, I, I guess if I was separating the two, I, I think Veen's performance is slightly more impressive to me based on the way he's controlling the strike zone. 
but I'm not that I'm anti Zach Veen. I like Zach Veen. I'm I'm happier for Kerstad just getting a chance to play this year after two years of waiting and and looking like the guy again. It's the fall league, so you know these guys aren't going to put up 1,200 ops in the big leagues, and it's a very hitting oriented league. But but I'm just glad you know even talking to him the first week. I talked to him a couple times. You could just tell how relieved and happy mm-hmm. he is to be able to go out there and play and show people, you know, why he was number two pick in the draft. Yeah, I think that that was so apparent. He, he's there's just a joy that exudes from the way he's playing. I mean, he's squaring everything up, so that's just going to add to it. I mean, it feels like everything he hits is hard. I give credit to Veen, you know, for not trying to do too much. You know, a young player could come out here and see that it's a hitter league and and just you know swing at everything. And he's really committed to to working on on his approach, which he lost when he got to to Double A. You know, and he's he's impacting the ball enough. I think that's going you know going to be the, sort of the, the last thing that that comes for him. He's also playing with a lot left in the tank, which which you know which is impressive because he, pl- he played a lot of baseball this year. But um, yeah, so I would give him the slight edge just because that eight to two walk to strikeout ratio that you mentioned, Jim. Hey, you said you were going to give him credit for coming out to the fall league, not swinging everything. I'm going to give him extra credit because we had him mic'd up uh, about a week and a half ago, I think it was. Uh, him, Jason Dominguez, um, Victor Mesa Jr., uh, Jose Rojas, and they were all great. Veen was hilarious. Um, if you haven't had a chance to to see this yet, uh, go to MLB.com slash AFL. It's featured there. But yeah, Veen Veen uh, mic'd up is is something to behold. He was he was fantastic. He was really uh, good at the futures game too. They had him mic'd up at the futures game, I believe, and he was good. We should just always mic up Zach Veen. I got a pipeline pop pop quiz for you guys. Uh, so early, Danny G. Danny G. Be damned. Um, it's been a while. Here. We, we, not, we haven't had one in a long time. He's so. not here to stop us. I mentioned that uh, Kerstad has hit in all ten games. Got a ten game hitting streak in the fall league. Either of you know who has the longest hitting streak in AFL history, history being as far back as we have stats, being 2005? I I don't know, but I remember this coming up last year. Somebody had a streak, and I can't remember who it was. I'm going to give you some hints. I'll rattle them off quickly. Okay. He played in the big leagues. Boy, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna be become more revealing as we go. Uh, his father also played in the big leagues. They are both first base coaches in the big leagues and in the same division. Venable is it one, Will Venable? Mm, good guess, but no. They share the same name. They go by their initials, which since they share the same name are the same. Eric Young, E Y and E Y Junior. Oh. E Y Junior. Yeah, EY Jr. had a had the longest hitting streak in Arizona League history dating back to 2005. He had 21 straight games uh, back in 2008. Do you know, do you know speaking of, of the, the young family, do you know the claim to fame of, of Eric Young, Eric Young's son, Eric Young Jr.'s son? Eric, Eric Young, Eric Young... Well, Eric Young Jr. is obviously Eric Young Sr.'s son, so it's Eric Young Jr.'s son. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you know the claim to fame of Eric Young Sr.'s son, but you know the claim to fame of Eric Young Jr.'s son. He's not named Eric? Eric Young sophomore? Eric Young the third? I believe his son's, his son's name is Dallas Young, but do you know his claim to fame? I do not. No. He, he's, he's part of Cobra Kai on Netflix. Wow. I love that show. He's Kenny Payne. He's he's Kenny, the young troubled kid who who gets taken in by Cobra Kai. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I know that guy. I just wow. I just finished watching the most uh, recent season. Five, season five, the fact. best season yet of Cobra Kai. Really? Can, oh, they're all they're all so good. But but season five was show. the best. Season five was the best. But anyway. I don't disagree. He's he's Kenny. In, in I gotta Cobra get back Kai. into it. I played baseball with a Kenny Payne. I don't think it's the so same they're probably not the same uh, one, because this no. one's like probably fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. So maybe he's a time traveler. Uh all right. Well, That's that, outstanding. that was a fun trip down <laughs> Eric Young Road. <laughs> oh, I should mention, I mentioned um, that Zach Veen was great when we had him mic'd up and that you should go watch that on, on MLB.com slash AFL or MLBFallBall.com. Get you to the same place. You can also watch every Arizona Fall League game now 
uh, well, with a few exceptions. You can watch almost every <laughs> Arizona Fall League game now, uh, a live stream. And if you go to MLB.com slash AFL, basically when games are on in the afternoon at 3.35 Eastern or at night at 9.35 Eastern, uh, the games will be streamed. Uh, you'll see one on the homepage there. MLB Pipeline Twitter account will shoot them out to you so that you know that they're going on. And uh, basically the way that it's working is that one game a day, approximately, uh, will have play-by-play. And the other two games are just a live stream. Uh, but you can watch uh, you can watch the games live. Uh, which is the first time that this is happening. There, like I said, a few exceptions. Um, this weekend, they're playing a triple header at a non-MLB park uh, at Phoenix Municipal Stadium, home of ASU. Uh, so that's not equipped uh, with the cameras. But but Jonathan's going to record it on his phone and stream it live, right? Jonathan, all three games. I, I've uh, <laughs> I've purchased three extra phones too, so we'll have different camera angles. So yeah, that's that's a new thing going on. So that's fun. And Jonathan. We said yesterday you saw two inside the park home runs in one game, and then you turned around and let's see, where'd you go? Did you drive across the desert? Did you drive across the city? I forgot where your no, location. No, I was. Uh, I both were on the west side. I drove down Bell Road from Peoria to Surprise. Oh, expert planning. Um, and <laughs> in your night game, you you saw a, a pretty interesting outing there as well. Yeah, Connor Thomas, uh, who who has pitched well uh, overall this fall after a, a rough year in AAA, uh, struck out 10 in four innings, and it was the first 10-strikeout game in the Fall League since. I know you guys know this, or at least, Jason, you know this. I always think of Kyle Zimmer, but I don't know if there's been one since then. Yep, it was Kyle. That is correct. Kyle Zimmer in 2014. Um, it does not happen very often. Obviously, pitchers don't tend not to go that that long. Um, you know, before like uh, the research was done, the one person I thought of who I was like, he must have done it was Tommy Hansen because he was so, so good. And he did it twice uh, in 2008. Um, but Thomas was – and he Thomas is, does not fit the bill of a guy that you would think. Uh, you know, he's an undersized lefty. He – Tops out at 90 with his fastball. Uh, but the biggest thing that he's been working on here is a cutter because he he's ted, tended to be a sink slider guy with an inconsistent changeup. And he got smacked around quite a bit in AAA this year after reaching AAA in 2021 and, and pitching pretty well there. So he's added this cutter because he recognized that hitters were on his fastball slider too much, so he needed something else. Uh, and last night he was, uh, sort of using them off of each other really, really well, uh, and kept hitters very off balance. I mean, he struck out the side twice, struck out two in his other two innings. Uh, and he's got a one, four, two earn run average in 12 and two thirds innings, uh, over his three starts. And, and he, he threw 135 innings in AAA. So, I mean, he's got to be kind of tired, but he's specifically working on that cutter and then he told me he's planning to really kind of hone in on his changeup because he couldn't throw it for strikes, and he knows he needs that pitch. You know, if he's going to have a a fringy fastball, you better have uh, you know a, a full array of other options to to go to if you're going to have some success. The ceiling is limited, but it was fun watching him uh, carve up hitters without that like wow stuff. Some uh, pretty decent names on list of pitchers who have struck out ten or more batters in an Arizona Fall League game dating back to 2005. Um, Jonathan, you mentioned Hanson and Zimmer. Yeah, Hanson did it. I remember him, he did it in the uh, championship game in 2008. Also that year, uh, young Phil Hughes struck out hmm. 10 batters in a game. Uh, another name on the list from 2005, looking at the list, Weaver, comma, J. Jared Weaver. Jared Weaver. Yeah. So yeah, doesn't doesn't happen often. The guys who have done it have, uh, <clears throat> for the most part, gone on to uh, pretty decent stints in the big leagues. All right, we uh, have a special guest on the podcast today, and it is uh, somebody who's been very, very good 
in the Arizona Fall League so far on the mound. No 10 strikeout games so far, but uh, has arguably been the best pitcher in the desert so far. That is Tigers pitching prospect Joey Wentz. We're going to talk to him when we come back on the MLB Pipeline podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo here at Salt River Fields. Happy to have with us for this week's episode, the now the two-time Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Week, Joey Wentz. Joey, thanks for, for taking some time out. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, having me on. So, I mean, you win it twice. Did they have to name the award after you now? Huh. No, I don't think so. I think it's just two, two pretty good outings, you know, and uh, hopefully just keep throwing it well. Uh, so I kind of want to dig into like what brought you here, because I'll tell you like the way we kind of divvy up uh, s- systems like there are three of us and we each do a bunch of the different top thirties. Now mm-hmm. I used to do the Braves top thirty. Yep. You got traded, and I kind of, and you got traded to the Tigers, and I don't do the Tigers. So I have to say that there were some of us who were like, he's still a prospect. Like w- when you came out here, do you kind of like wait? I'm still a prospect. Yeah, I mean, certainly I would like to uh, hopefully next year, you know, get rid of that, get rid of that status. I think now after being drafted in high school and, uh, you know, kind of doing that for, I mean, yeah, six or seven years now, hopefully this upcoming season, you know, lose the, uh, lose the status. I, I think you're probably in good shape. Had the big league season gone a little longer, you were probably going to get there. Were you looking forward to coming here just because of the of the missed time or did you have a, a, a little bit of a am I too old to come here or have I done too much to come here no I mean I, I think certainly uh you know coming down here and playing I mean pretty quickly watching the games if I'm going to bring the attitude of uh too old to be here or kind of the level that I was playing at before this you can still get exposed pretty easily so um anytime on the field I'm going to be going to be grateful for and uh, you know, certainly, you know, try to do my stuff in between starts to, you know, to make sure I keep throwing it well and I'm feeling good. I mean, this seems to be sort of a continuation of how you were throwing in, in the big leagues. Can you kind of uh, take me through a little bit of, you know, how good you were feeling when you did get that call up and, uh, and how it clearly has carried over into how well you've been throwing here? Yeah, I mean, even... You know, I, I thought I had a pretty good September for myself, but prior to that, I thought I was doing some pretty good work in AAA in Toledo. And um, just talking to, to Bach in Toledo, the, the pitching coach I had, uh, it's kind of like when I got called back up to the big leagues, it was to just take a simple mindset up there, you know, execute pitches. And um, certainly I think that, you know, if I do that, I have the stuff to, uh, to be successful at any level. And, um, you know, when you get there and you have, you know, a slight bit of success, I still... You know, I'm, I'm barely a big leaguer, so, you know, it's not like I'm a veteran or anything. I'm still, uh, you know, still learning, trying to get better. But when you have a sliver of success up there, it kind of makes you hunger for more just because it's such a good feeling. And um, that was a good month. Again, not that you're, as you said, you're not some established veteran. But was there any point in time where you go from, you know, when you get called up the first time and you know, you've not taken the straight path, especially because, the you know, the, the injury and things like that, um, that you went from wide-eyed, like, wow, I can't believe I'm here, to, you know what, actually, I, I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in September I felt a little more relaxed just because I thought I was going to, you know, uh, I, I, I thought I was in a better place in mental state throwing the ball. And I think, um, you know, my debut didn't, didn't, didn't obviously go the way I would have liked. I got another crack in May, ended up leaving the game, you know, hurt. Um, but that game, I thought I was throwing the ball pretty well. So uh, when I got back up there, it was really just, um, you know, control my mentality, you know, bring a personality to the field every day that, that's conducive to, to getting better and um, just trying to help the team win. And uh, we actually had a really good September. So. 
Take me through a little bit the, you know, the, the frustrations of injuries um, that you've had to deal with. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you had the Tommy John surgery, mm-hmm. right? So you probably thought that's in the rearview mirror. And then this year you, you know, had some, some of the shoulder issues. Just maybe, maybe the Tommy John situation helped your perspective in terms of, like, all right, this is just another hurdle for, for me to clear. Yeah, I mean, I think it sucks. I mean, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. I think anyone that goes out will tell you that. You lose time. Um, it's never good, especially, you know, being in AAA, I thought, you know, I, you're close to the big leagues. So certainly when you get hurt, it's not, not good. Um, you know, you try to take a step back and, and remind yourself that you're, you know, you're a great player. I think that if you're, if you're a pro, you're, you're a pretty good player. Um, you know, try to clear the obstacles, and then when you get back, do what you can to stay on the field. I mean, no one wants to have Tommy John surgery. There's so much track record of guys coming back from guys you probably could could talk to. Did that did that give you more confidence? I'm sure initially that there must be an old man moment, but being able to talk to other people, knowing that the the process has worked for so many other you know all star caliber pitchers. Yeah, I think nowadays with with when you go out. Um, especially with Tommy John, you know, like you said, there's some of the arguably the best pitcher in the game had Tommy John. So, um, yeah, there's a track record of coming back. I think that a lot of it is also up to the player, up to the athlete. Um, you know, uh, I think if you do the work and you do it do it well, I think you have a good chance to come back better. And uh, certainly um, I spent a lot of guys, a lot of time with the guys down in Florida. Um, they've helped me a ton. Um, obviously getting better, but also just – Mentally wise, you know, they're the ones with you probably at some of your lowest points. So, um, you know, the guys down there that work with me mean, mean a lot to me. And, uh, you know, certainly I'm appreciative of what they've done. You're referring to DeGrom, when you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So he came back throwing like 100. Are you throwing like a lot harder now? <laughs> no, the start of the year, I was throwing harder than I probably ever thrown the ball. Um, I think, you know, when you go down with a shoulder in the middle of the season, I, I, I'm comfortable with my velocity right now. I think there's some some stuff like weight room wise, uh, some efficiency stuff that, uh, you know, once I'm done here in Arizona that I'll be able to uh, maybe get another tick or two back on the fastball. But even if not, I think that uh, my month in September kind of showed me that uh, what I'm working with is is good enough to get the best players out. It's kind of how you sequence, how you locate. And, um, you know, I think unless you have a really elite fastball, um, you're gonna need to do those things anyway. Even with an elite fastball, maybe especially as a starter, yeah. and it sounds to me the way you're talking about it, like because I remember when you came out of the draft and the Braves signed you, and you were a big projectable left-hander with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Now you sound like a pitcher. I mean, do you? And maybe the injuries help with that maturity, whatever it is. But do you, do you hear yourself and like recognize that you sound like a pitcher, and not just a guy who knows he can go and blow guys away? Yeah, I mean, I think that. Probably maturity-wise, I think that um, I, I just think that after playing at the highest level, um, you see guys that stick up there and you see guys that, that do well up there and, and they're great pitchers. I think like a prime example right now is like a guy like Shane Bieber. Um, it's not a guy that throws 100, but he's as good as anybody in the league probably and uh, really mixes it up. And obviously there's you know tons more of examples. That's just the first one that came to my head. but. Um, I just think you learn, you, you get older, you mature, and, and you probably concentrate more on what gets results, not, um, you know, what might be popular on social media or something like that. Right. Are there lefties that you particularly like to watch, and has that changed as you've changed uh, as a pitcher? Yeah, I think certainly, like, being left-handed growing up, like, Clayton Kershaw was, you know, still is the guy in my eyes as, like, a lefty, you know, obviously he's going to you know, going to the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best pitchers of all time. And, uh, yeah, him, uh, you know, Cole Hamels, guys like that kind of look like me, throw like me. Uh, kind of added a cutter slider this year. So, I, you know, Clayton Kershaw, he throws that a lot. So, uh, you know, kind of the popular answer, but two guys that are, you know, you know, great, great at what they do. Sometimes you don't, have to, you don't have to dig deep to some left-handed reliever. It's fine. They, right. th- those are the guys to follow. It makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the, the cutter slider, and that was you sort of set me up for my next question, which is just sort of how you've changed your repertoire and how that's impacted, like maybe what you're working on here. Yeah, um, it was again with with uh, Bach and AAA Doug Bockler this year. Probably at the end of May, we just got together and talked, and 
Uh, I needed a breaking ball that I could land more than what I was doing with the curveball. I like my curveball. I think it's a good pitch, but I think uh, the cutter just gives me maybe a different look, get off the barrel a little bit. Um, you know, I think now that I, I, I'm confident that I can throw four pitches for strikes, I think, it, you know, it's another wrinkle to add maybe. Um, still some stuff that I'm working on, like arsenal-wise, you know, but I feel pretty good with where everything's at. One of the things I've always marveled at, guys your size and an ability to repeat your delivery, which, you know, and you had some command issues early, which happens to a lot of young pitchers. You know, do you just know your body better? Um, can it still get out of whack? And you know, maybe you, you can correct it more quickly than when you were 19? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I think that, um, again, if you want to be good, it's one of the things that you have to be able to do. Um, especially as a starter. Um, and I think I, I know my body better. I think that, you know, there's some mental cues, especially late in the season, with just, just be easier, you know, just just make the game easier. And um, I think I made the game more simple, just kind of going back to just making pitches. Not everything has to be nasty stuff. It's just you have to make pitches. And um, I think I got away from that a little bit just with seeing, you know, I, trying to get my stuff to blend in the perfect way instead of just, hey, what's the hitter telling me my stuff is doing? And if the hitters are getting out, then it's probably pretty good stuff. And that's more of a like a gradual thing, not not a, an aha moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, it's kind of a struggle thing. And then it was like, hey, I don't want to struggle anymore. Because so. sometimes, especially with adding a pitch, like I've heard stories of guys like, well, I've never thrown a cutter before, and someone shows it to me, and like, oh, my goodness, there it is. Yeah. Did that... Did you have yeah. any mo things like that with any of your stuff? It was kind of like that, actually. It was like I, I learned it, and this is beginning of the season. I was still throwing a little harder, so the cutter was a little harder. And my first outing with it, I was like, well, you know, it was, it was really good. I, I had really good results with it. And I'm not going to say it was beginner's luck, but it was kind of just a – I had never done it before. I kind of have nothing to lose with the pitch. I'm going to tinker and throw it, and if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll find something else. But um, – after that, I think I kind of had to, once I realized, like, hey, this is going to work for me, I think you then have to kind of learn the pitch a little bit more, learn how to, you know, land it, where do I need to start it, where do my sights need to be set to get it, you know, glove side to get it back door, that sort of thing. Is that true of, of all pitches? It almost sounds like I've heard pitchers talk uh, about trying to find, like, a, a good change-up grip where you have to fiddle with it. Not that, like, every slider looks the same or every curve is the same, but I don't know if there's as much wiggle room uh, and, and then sometimes, just like with the changeup, I'll hear you guys, like, they've tried every different grip, and then all of a sudden, oh, Vulcan grip, whatever. That's what worked for me. Mm -hmm. um, is that, I mean, is a cutter similar in that regard that you can kind of fiddle with it more? Yeah, I think for me it was uh, I, the grip that I started throwing with is still the grip that I throw with now. I, I flip the ball, so I'm on a different lace, but it's still very similar. And, I yeah, I think, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I think it's kind of... You know, you're always trying to learn, always maybe fiddling, but also knowing what works for you is also a pretty, a pretty good thing. And um, certainly when you're looking for consistency, it's easier to be consistent when you're not, you know, always searching new grips and that sort of thing. Maybe because I'm the guy that does the Braves list and I've done the draft for so long, I can't not think about Kyle Muller because you guys were back-to-back -back in that mm -hmm. draft and yeah. – um, how much do you talk to him? I mean, both big high school lefties. You're not the same pitcher, I know, but kind of we're able to go through a lot of the process to, together. What's that relationship like? Yeah, no, Kyle's one of my best friends. I still talk to him a lot. I talk to all the, the you know, I was drafted with Ian Anderson, talked to him, uh, Kyle Tucker. We're in a group chat. So uh, still talk to those guys a lot, love them to death, and uh, Soroka, still talk to him. So, yeah. Uh, no, I know Kyle had a great year. I think he, you know, he was in AAA the majority of the year. And uh, if anybody sees his numbers, they're they're damn good numbers. I mean, he, he really threw the ball well, and uh, you know, certainly he's he's got it all to, to be really good. When you leave prospect status, and it's going to be before him, just because the amount of innings, is that something you're going to remind him of? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, uh, I think he'll he'll be there pretty soon. He's he's uh you know he's obviously big lefty, phenomenal fastball, phenomenal. I mean you know big stuff, big swing and miss stuff, and uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff I'll rip him for before that. So, yeah. Fair enough. All right, well, Joey, thanks very much. The, the winner of the Joey Wentz Pitcher of the Week Award, I've unofficially renamed it that. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with more on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, we only allow people whose first names start with J on the podcast, so we had Joey Wentz on. Thank you very much to Joey for joining us. Uh, guys, when when uh, I think when the rosters came out, I don't know if it was right when they came out, but at, at some point all of us were like, Joey Wentz? Is he still a prospect? He's still on a prospect list. He's still rookie eligible. and I kind of wondered, what's he doing in the fall league? Well, Jason, I I actually wondered when I was watching his first start of the year, which was four perfect innings, and I thought I might wind up writing a Joey Wentz story before I went uh, the Luis Angel Acuna direction. I was like, oh, I need to look up, is Joey Wentz still prospect eligible? So I wasn't even aware if he was still prospect eligible uh, <laughs> when he was on the mound. Um and he pitched really well in September, too. That was an interesting thing. But the reason he's there is he missed more time this year. He had some shoulder issues. He had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. Um, so I think they're just trying to get him innings. I don't know how long we're going to have him in the fall league. Um, but I, I would I will take slight exception to what you said earlier. I don't even think it's arguable that he's been the best pitcher in the league because he threw four perfect innings followed by four one-hit innings in an offense-dominated league. So he is – if. if you're arguing with changed. the arguability? Maybe there is. <laughs> that sounds right. I'm, I'm disputing the arguability. And uh, I, I'd, I'd be willing, like, we, we need to get the championship chains back because Joey Wentz should be the championship chains, should be brandishing the big chain around his neck uh, based on each of his first two starts. So very, very impressive, Joey Wentz. Arguing whether something is arguable may be the most Jim Callis thing ever. <laughs> so, that could be true. I, I, uh, I won't dispute that. <laughs> Oh, he agreed with that. But I will, but I will dispute whether or not it's disputable. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's just been—he's been so good, and you know, and I think we just showed that it's clear that Sam Dykstra is the one who does the Tigers' top thirty, you know, because he he knew that Joey Wentz was on that list. But uh, yeah, you know, it is one of these interesting things uh, where there's you know different paths, and he needed to make up for for lost innings, and he's just been really, really good. And the thing that really stands out. Uh, you know, is the the two walks, you know, that he's just commanding baseball much better. So, you know, I hope it continues because uh, it'd be fun to have, you know, a couple more, a couple more outings like that. Uh, you know, it's funny with all the issues in pitching that Salt River has had, they have Joey Wentz and Connor Thomas on their starting staff. Um, uh, so that's been really good. I, I was going to say too, like, when, I don't know what you saw, Jonathan. I, I actually, I looked at, at the, StatCast numbers because they were at Chase Field for a second start. And we had StatCast numbers from Salt River from his first start. You know, he hasn't been overpowering. It's more just been, you know, 91-95, mixing four pitches, throwing strikes, locating well. And I, I was going to ask you if you remember um, back in 2015 in Cincinnati, I, I was in uh, Germany, which was a whole other story back in 2015 that summer. But uh, do you remember Joey Wentz? Crushing a 543 foot oh, home yeah. run, yes, with a super jacked derby. up, yeah, super jacked up bat, uh, aluminum bat in the junior home run derby. But he was he was quite the two way player back in the day. Yeah, I do remember that. I mean, I, you know, you sprung the memory, but yes, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely called that. So, uh, you know, I have a, a working theory, and I'm not sure because not everybody. I don't know how, how true it is, but uh, I know Quinn Priester has been a little up and down, but he's you know largely looked good. The guys who have pitched the best that I have seen, you know, looking at Wentz and Thomas as the best best examples, are guys who pitched all the way to like the end of September or even into October. They didn't have the cool down and then ramp back up that some of the pitchers whose minor league seasons ended earlier had. I don't know if that's had an impact, and maybe it's just those two. Uh, but Priester came to mind too because he pitched in Triple A down the stretch. Uh, you know, he's been a little more up and down than those two have been, but it was something that 
I wonder if that does have any kind of impact in terms of like they, they just kept rolling from from the end of their season right into the fall league. Yeah, I don't know if the, I mean you may have something there. I don't. We, we'd have to study it to, to know for sure. But I mean, we do know one thing is for sure. I mean, that's the reason the league is starting earlier. Is that teams wanted to have no layoff or a smaller layoff compared to the past, where sometimes you would have guys go a month between the end of the minor league season, which ended the first week of September, and then we were starting the Arizona Fall League, you know, seven or 10 days into October. So it's definitely something that teams wanted and that the league has has changed to to make it easier on pitchers. Not that... Well, remember, I remember it was the couple of years where we started in September. So right. that was warm. Wentz, you mentioned, Jim, that he was so good in September. He was really good in the big leagues. Uh, seven starts, 303 ERA, 13 walks in 32 innings, 27 strikeouts, a 195 average against 110 whip. And, and those numbers are almost identical to what he posted in the minor leagues, 304 ERA across 14 starts. Um, you extrapolate the numbers out, you know, 13 walks and 27 strikeouts in 32 innings in the big leagues and 53 innings in the minors, he had 22 walks and 57 strikeouts, 204 average against. So pretty consistent all year. Um, and we we discovered this when we were kind of talking about the fact that Joey is kind of long in the tooth for a prospect. 25 years old, he's he's among the approximately 50 oldest players on a top 30 prospects list. And I, you know, I quizzed you guys like how many how many innings has he pitched in the minor leagues? It's nearly 500, 496. And then I wondered whether, you know, how many pitchers on any team top 30 prospects list have thrown more innings in the minors than Wentz. And do you, do you I don't know, I, did I ever Jonathan tell you what the answer it. was? I think, I think Jonathan nailed it with his first guess. Yeah, Kyle Muller was the one who had come to mind because same draft class still, I know, he, and he's, you know, on the Braves list and he's still a who's still prospect eligible. He's sort of, you know, he and Joey Wentz were these high school lefties who got over slot deals, so they, they kind of are, are easy to compare. Yeah, and I I don't know whether I haven't got around to telling you this, but he is, in fact, the only other pitcher who's thrown more minor league innings uh, among any ranked prospect. So, uh, all right, well, thanks again to Joey for joining us on the show today, and uh, he's this week's Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Week, the Arizona Fall League Hitter of the Week, is Austin Martin, who is off to a really good start. He's you know one of many of the sort of bigger names in the Fall League who have uh, put up good performances so far along. We talked about Veen and Kerstad, um, Matt Mervis, who we were looking forward to seeing after he led the minors in total bases uh, in 2022, is off to a good start. Lawler, uh, Brennan Davis, all with OPS is above. A thousand, uh, but Martin, um, he has since going hitless in his first fall league game, he's hit in eight straight games, uh, and has had multi hit efforts in six of his past seven, including three three hit games. Uh, this past week alone, when he was recognized as being the player of the week, 11 for 18, two doubles, a home run, six RBIs, and two stolen bases. So He's slashing 474, 543, 605 through the first couple of weeks of fall league season. I mentioned the two doubles in the home run. Those are his only three extra base hits. So even though you look at the 1.148 OPS, just the three extra base hits. And that's, I think, in, in talking with you guys about him over the past couple of years, the thing that's come up so often is, is, there, is he going to have the extra base pop? And... I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know that that question is is being answered to this point. But what do you think? So I was at the game where he homered, he homered and doubled in that game, and both of those were just lasers. This this wasn't a you know a flare down the line kind of thing. I've also seen him pick up a couple of uh, more sort of Austin Martin like hits. Uh, you know, the thing that's long stood out for him is he just has an unbelievable ability to make contact. He's got a very good approach. He's only struck out twice in this league. He's walked four times. Um, what was interesting to me in that game, I mean, that, that was a, like a kind of ridiculous game. 
And he, I think he got up seven times in that game. And six of the seven, he swung at the first pitch, including the homer, which was the first pitch of the game. He was hitting leadoff. Uh, so he, he, he's looking to do damage earlier in counts. Um, and I think that could help him drive the ball. And I think w- one reason why that's smart, you know, uh, I mean, Jim, don't you think, you know, this is a guy who knows he's not going to strike out. He trusts his ability to put the ball in play. And he can revert to that if he falls behind or, or, or there's a two-strike count. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that, uh, and, 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 you know, at least in that game that I saw in, in trying to get to a little bit more of that impact. Yeah, I mean, he needs to find a way to do that. I, I really don't know what to make him make of him. He's become vexing in the same way that, that Nick Madrigal became vexing once he got to the minor leagues. And, you know, Austin had a, I mean, quite frankly, a, Terrible year in Double A this year. He hit 240 with two home runs. He slugged 316. Um, he did make contact, which he's always done. Um, you know, this is a guy who we thought was going to be the best hitter in terms of hitting for average out of that 2020 draft. And yeah, you know, I you know he's you know as, as Jason was saying. I mean, he's you know hitting 474, but there's not a lot of power. There's not a lot of walks. I'm still not sure what to make of him. I, I still don't think he's a shortstop. Um, I, I'm all for, you know, trying guys, challenging them at defensive positions to see, you know, if they can handle it. And I think the Twins are wasting their time trying to make Austin Martin a shortstop. He, he doesn't have the arm for it. He's an erratic defender there. I, I don't think that's helping him. I would try him at second base. I would try him in center field. But trying to make him a shortstop, he's not a shortstop. I, I, very few people thought he was a shortstop coming out of the draft. Um and, you know, I just – I don't know what to make of him because I, I think he can hit for average. I'm not sure what else he does offensively. And it, it's hard – to you know, I mean, yes, guys don't hit for contact in today's game and, and some of that is needed. But, you know, like you said, Jonathan, you know, maybe this is a way you know, he's looking to attack pitches early in counts because he knows he's – you know, he's not afraid to hit with two strikes. But even in the fall league – you know, outside the game you saw, he's got one extra base hit. So, um, you know, I'd be encouraged. You know, I, I, I am encouraged that, you know, again, it's the fall league, but he's off to a good start there. But I, I really don't know what to make of the guy. He's one of the tougher prospects for me to figure out, probably just because I've, you know, seen him going back to 2019 at Vanderbilt as part of that championship club, I'm trying to figure out exactly what he's going to be. And, you know, it's it's interesting with him uh, because they did try, you know, I, <laughs> I, I was in Twins camp in spring training super early when you know they first were kind of really trying to work with him, and they were making some adjustments to, to to help him drive the ball a little bit more, and they were encouraged. And then what it sounds like is, um, you know, it, it didn't feel comfortable for him, and then he got hurt, uh, and then when he came back, he kind of went back to what he was doing previously um, and started having better results. So I I think we kind of have to shift. He's going to have to impact the ball some because it's just not, it's not sustainable to hit, hit soft flares and find holes. And that's just over the long term, that's not going to happen. Maybe you have a good year or two. I'm sort of thinking of a guy like Adam Frazier who, uh, you know, had a really good year in Pittsburgh in the big leagues, uh, and it hasn't really been able to sustain it because he, he doesn't hit the ball hard. Uh, like eventually that, that catches up to you. Um, but maybe Austin Martin ends up being more of a hit for average on base guy who occasionally drives the ball to the gaps as opposed to someone who we thought had raw power to tap into to the point where he could become a much, much more of an impactful kind of player. Um, I think 2023 is going to be a very big year for him, um, you know, because he's now had two full years of pro ball, neither of which were all that impactful. Uh, so this is encouraging, and I'm hoping that he can use it as a springboard um, to have success in the upper levels of the of the twin system, and they can maybe really get a beat on what uh, what kind of player he actually can be. As far as his. Uh position goes he's played five games at short in the fall league two in center two as a dh and that kind of 
fits with what he's done yeah. in the regular season uh, in his first two professional seasons, kind of evenly split between center and short in 2021. 2022 was more back to playing more shortstop, uh, played 72 games there uh, compared to only seven in center. They tried him at second for seven games. Um, but Jim, speaking to uh, the point that you made about wondering where he plays, um, seems like he's still spending a majority of the time at short. Well, and I think, I mean, again, I'll get on my soapbox. I think it's a waste of time because he didn't play shortstop at Vanderbilt. And, you know, if you're going to ask, okay, how many guys didn't play shortstop in college and were everyday shortstops in the big leagues? The one guy, and it, crazy exception to the rule, is Paul DeYoung, who had also outstanding defensive metrics uh, in 2019 when he was an all-star for the Cardinals too. So I'm not sure how the Paul DeYoung one happened because nobody saw – like. Nobody thought he had any chance to play shortstop, and he played a pretty good shortstop in the big leagues. But the, the, the problem with Austin Martin at shortstop is he just doesn't have the arm for the position, and he's been erratic there either. As well, I mean, erratic there as well. I don't know if he tries to speed up plays to get rid of the ball more quickly, but again, I mean, when you're trying to figure out what this guy is, I will be – I don't think there's any way Austin Martin's a shortstop in the big leagues for any length of time. And so, you know, if you're trying to develop him, I would – I think second base is feasible. I think the outfield's feasible. Those are that's where I play him, and maybe that would lessen, you know, the the lesser defensive demands. Maybe that'll help him unlock, you know, some more at the plate. But it, you know, he could definitely put the bat in the ball. Like he's, I mean, that is his best skill. We're seeing that. You know, the question is going to be what else can he do to become a big league regular or a good big league regular? But you know, good to see him hitting. You know, after a pretty rough season. Look at this pristinely planned pipeline podcast where we're talking about shortstops and we're going to go into the mailbag, our final segment and talk more about shortstops in the fall league. Um, we've got two questions this week. One comes from old friend of the podcast, Spencer O'Gara, a frequent asker of questions. He asks, how has Lawler's defense looked to you? that being Jordan Lawler. Uh, there's some speculation in Arizona circles. It's a little worse than when he was drafted. First season fatigue, legit issues, non-issue. Again, uh, three, three, four, four questions crammed into one. <laughs> we had that last week. They're on to us. They know they can get multiple questions answered by cramming a bunch into, into one. Good job, Spencer. So, I mean... Small sample size because I think I've seen him play like see him do anything at shortstop once last night. <coughs> Excuse me, and he um, he actually made a re- couple of really nice plays. Um, I I don't see any reason why he wouldn't play shortstop. Um, I can't say that I've dug into it deeply, but he obviously moves well enough. He has the range. Should have the arm. I, you know, I've not heard any of those red flags. Uh, I know he made a bunch of errors, but it was his first full year of a pro ball. Um, and I, I tend not to worry about that too much, you know, until it's if it continues to happen as he moves up the ladder. But uh, for me, there's no reason why he can't be a, a big league shortstop. He settled down error-wise when he made the jump from low A to high A. You know, it, it's funny. I saw him – I mean, Jason, you were there on opening day, and I think there was one ball hit to him. Um, we didn't really get to see much in terms of uh, what he could do that day. I, and I, I maybe saw him play one other time, but that might have been the only game I saw him at short. You know, the interesting thing – and this is extremely small sample size. I wouldn't read too much into it. But in seven games at short for Salt River, he has 13 assists – Mason Wynn, who has a cannon arm, has seven in two games. Addison Barger, who's not really shortstop, has eight in three games. That also could be very dependent on who's pitching, if you have ground ball versus fly ball pitchers, you know, what have you. But, but I'm with you, Jonathan. Like, I don't – you know, like, even when he was coming up through the through the draft, I don't think anybody saw him as a gold glover, future gold glover, like a, a you know well above average shortstop or anything like that. But at the same time, I don't think anybody had any concerns that he could stay at short. I mean, he's quick. He's got at least a solid arm. Uh, you know, I think it's just consistency. Um, 
I'm not saying he's going to be Derek Jeter, but Derek Jeter made 50 plus errors in his first full season of pro ball um, and played it short forever. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I just didn't see many balls hit to him. So right. I didn't get to see him not make plays. They just didn't hit the ball to him. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be overly concerned about the error total in low A if, if that's what's got Spencer worried. Um, and I think maybe that's a, a little bit overblown. Um, but again, I didn't get to see him do much one way or the other. Yeah, he had 20 errors in 37 games at single A Vesalia. Uh, but then, Jim, as you mentioned, when he bumped up to high A Hillsborough, uh, just four errors in 27 games. And I should I should be fair to Spencer here. I, I accused him of cramming a bunch of questions into one, but really he just asked one question yes. and offered up some possible he offered many answers, answers for you. Right. It basically was a multiple choice quiz. Yep, yep. All right, now, uh, last one here, and this one comes from a Twitter handle I'm not familiar with. This may be a Pipeline Podcast debut for, what is this, Levi Herr, uh, 7050-9380, asks, uh, Noel V's hits don't seem to be falling, but more walks than K's. Just curious as to how he looks, in your opinion. That being Noel V. Marte. Uh, formerly of the Mariners, now of the Reds. Yeah, interesting enough, it's funny because you did you did frame this as a question about shortstops, and Noel V. Marte has only played third base in the Fall League, um, which is noteworthy in and of itself. Uh, obviously, uh, Matt McLean is also here, and then you've also got Ellie De La Cruz in the system, and I think that all figures into it. A lot of people think he's eventually going to Marte should shift to third or or maybe even the outfield. Um, yeah, again, you know, I, I think I've only seen Glendale maybe the one time. Uh, he, I've, I did see him hit the ball hard a couple times. He just has the one home run. Um, I was trying to quickly find any exit velo information, uh, but I was unsuccessful. Uh, you know, we would only have that in the games if he had played in Salt River. But um you know, I, I, he's looked generally. He's looked pretty good. Um, I do like the fact that uh, he's not swinging and missing, and he's drawing some walks. Uh, the approach, you know, something needs to continue to come. And I think he, he's always, you know, done a decent job of, of 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 drawing walks. I think it's now finding the pitches and recognizing the pitches that he can drive. But he's so young um, that uh, I'm not worried at all regardless of what he does in the fall league I, you know i don't think and this isn't the usual fall league caveat that we put on everything about sample size and not putting too much weight one way or the other for me this is a guy who you know made it to high a for the first time last year and you know performed pretty well there was hot down the stretch uh this is going to help him get ready for double a next year and that and that's it while maybe starting to make that move over to third base yeah i'll second all that i mean Again, you know, we could say small sample size about all this stuff. I, I just look at it like he hasn't put up big numbers, but to me, I'm impressed that he's controlling the strike zone as well as he has against the most advanced pitching he's ever seen. He's one of the younger guys in the league. He's not – I mean, they, they were kind of in the same tier of prospects, but I think back to a couple of years ago when O'Neill Cruz was 20 in the fall league, and he was terrible, he, Jonathan. I don't know if you remember. He was oh, one of the I worst remember. players in the league. <laughs> he struck out at like a 43% clip. You guys want to venture what O'Neill Cruz slugged in the fall league uh, in 2019? 296. Jason? I, I would take the over. Well, you would both, you would be wrong because he slugged well, 214. Well, how yes. is that even possible? He slugged, <laughs> he hit, well, he slugged 214 while hitting 191. He had one double as his lone extra base yeah, hit. Yeah, that was, not, that so was anyway, not good. You could see that there are young guys can be overwhelmed by facing more advanced pitching than they've ever seen. I, I'll throw out one more real quick. Corey Seager, who was in the league twice, he went to the fall league after his first full year in pro ball, and he had played 100-something games. Granted, he was 19. He was even younger. He hit 181, um, and he struck out a bunch too. He struck out at about a, a 35% clip. So anyway, Noel V may not be putting up huge numbers, but I'm impressed that he has had you know good at-bats. It's not like he's swinging and missing a lot. 
Um, and you, it, it, yeah, his numbers maybe jump out for not being huge because there are so many huge numbers in the league. But just to me, it's the consistency of the at-bats that, that matters more than anything. All right. Thank you to both Spencer O'Gara and at Levi Her 705 for your questions. And thanks again to Joey Wentz for joining us here on the podcast today. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.